Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present two conversations. The first, a programmer's preview with the team behind the New York African Film Festival, currently taking place in our theaters through May 16th, followed by a Q&A with writer-director Ari Aster from a recent screening of his latest feature, the Joaquin Phoenix starring Bo is Afraid. Launched in 1993, the New York African Film Festival was one of the first film festivals in the United States to reflect on the myriad ways African and diaspora filmmakers have used the moving image to tell complex, nuanced stories of cultural and aesthetic significance. Under the banner title Freeforms, the festival will present over 50 films from more than 25 countries that explore and embrace the visionary, probing, and fearless spirit of African film and diaspora storytelling. Listen to our discussion with New York African Film Festival's founder and executive director, Mahan Bonetti, program manager, Dara Ojibele, and curator and office manager, Farima Konekito. To view the lineup and get tickets to this year's festival, please visit filmlink.org African. To our fellow panelists, um, if you'd like to introduce yourselves uh, and your role with the festival. Um, I'm Mahen Bonetti. I'm the director of the African Film Festival and also the founder. <laughs> yeah, and the drum beater. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's always important. Um, yeah. I'm Dara Ojibele. I'm the program manager here at African Film Festival. And I'm Farima Konikito. I'm the office and festival manager at the African Film Festival. Thank you all for, for joining us and taking the time. Uh, I, I was just wondering for a little bit of uh, an overview uh, in the ways that when you have a festival that's 30 years, uh, more than a quarter of a century going, the ways that the festival has grown or changed. Um, I, I know in 2020, uh, there was a virtual platform that the festival had to move to, as all festivals did then. Uh, but, but I was curious about the ways throughout the years and throughout different uh modes of distribution and changing audiences, uh, the New York African Film Festival has grown and in, in, in kind of what's ahead in, in its fourth decade in existence. I mean, honing in on this year's theme of free forms, uh, I believe that sort of encapsulates our 30 years because it's always been about, um, you know, providing our communities with a space where they could come and have alternative viewpoints. Mm -hmm. We're counteracting the stories that we don't control, but we are also um, adding another layer to, to the discussion. And so for us, it was really important to fill that void. And that was actually the premises to start the festival. I'm originally from Sierra Leone, and as long as I'd been in this country um, during the 80s was when I saw um, uh, Africa depicted on the mm -hmm. nightly news in discussions. And it was because of crisis that was taking place on the continent, which in fact, yes, indeed was a reality. But then I wanted also to have a, 
the backstory to that crisis that was taking place. And um, so, and I always loved the cinema. I always, I mean, I, I, I like a layman, you know, the Sunday painter. When that light went down and the screen lit up, I tried to find my footing in that space, in that um, sort of intonation, you know, to find my voice, even if the person did not look like me or spoke a language I did not understand. But it was about character, it was about humanity. And um, for me, I wanted to also bring that other layer, that nuance of African, mm -hmm. African people. First and foremost, for we as African people to also have that uh, freedom, that free form to digest, you know, and to 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 uh, to have uh, also that space to to really think more mm -hmm. about who we are and yeah. also um, uh, uh, realize there should be an appreciation for our contribution towards what, because when you think of art, you know, art within African societies, you know, um, has multiple functions, right? It's a lived experience. And um, so we don't really, you know, when I came here is when I realized the reverential of the role that African culture played within American society, within, you know, the global society, because I always say Africa's footprints is in everyone's cultural references. I absolutely second that. And I mean, I, I, I guess I, I also want to add the fact that, you know, to speak to the point that you just shared, Mahan, I think that because we approach curation the way we do and because we hold, you know, the history that we do, people have the tendency to also help us in the accomplishment yes. of our work, you know? Yeah. So people are like, oh, okay, we see that, for instance, the film industry is changing, you know, it's shaped like it's shape or whatever hurdles that we're, you know, exposed to as a result of COVID. Like it's it's something that we couldn't necessarily um, account for, we, could, we couldn't prepare for. But when you exist within a community that's so involved in the maintenance of your organization, what ends up happening is that folks also help you continue on adapting to what's happening in the industry so yeah absolutely uh and i was curious about uh for this year's lineup uh the the inclusion of uh for opening night film and there is a centerpiece film as well uh i was curious both specifically about uh those two films as well as kind of what goes into uh choosing, if you will, a, a opening night and a centerpiece film. I was just going to say generally that in terms of choosing an opening night film, I feel like we try to choose one that speaks to the overall theme, but kind of like in a grand way, like in the most grand way, I guess I would say. And for the centerpiece, it's similar where we are trying to find a film that speaks to the theme, but like maybe in a, a new way or a, I don't know, like a, an experimental or... I mean, at least for this year, that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, Hyperlink, the film that we chose for the centerpiece film was like these young South Africans doing new things with the camera, you know, and the way that they're telling their stories. So. Well, Halle is it's about, you know, Musa, as you said, this is the third in the trilogy of um, uh, of this bookend of stories he's told about everyday people. But mainly it is really about the also the the empowerment of woman and and if you if you say africa is a woman 
he's he is putting giving her a perch he's talking about um it's culturally specific but then at the same time it's universal it's a universal story you know about communities about um you know gender relationships about the the family unit uh and the space you occupy and and that could be anywhere you know um for example, when I think of immigrant, uh, where this big discussion taking place now about immigrant communities, but and I see how the transformation of certain um, sections of New York City have have uh, have um, been brought to life because of these immigrant communities, and and so that is also this this is also happening on the continent. You know this sort of um uh, sort of trade winds and cross pollination between the the rural area and the urban area and the spaces and that's why i'm saying that and africa also is the continent of the future because 65% of the population is under 40 so you know we the stories are just very rich and you can take it all away with hyperlink because that is more your generation and I just love those for I mean this is I I hope everyone comes to see these stories this this film it's 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 so original you know the way they 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 sort of hone in on on technology and the usage of technology and it's funny as well so your point I mean I, I feel like they've done amazing things um and connecting the stories about you know what the in, the, the p- impact of the internet on our lives and mm-hmm. but doing it in their own distinct and really bold ways so i really appreciated that about hyperlink yeah, yeah. i think that's what i liked about it the most actually because most of the time when you hear stories about for instance influencers you you know you hear about stories that anchor um influencing as a professional as an interest in the west you know so whether it be in europe or in america but right. this was very interesting to see how they they basically like you know, projected that narrative or how they, they, you know, broke it down and, and like integrated it in a, in a story that's still a universal story because you'll be able to laugh because you relate, you know? So I, I think that's one thing that I, I very much loved about the, the anthology, which made me even more enthusiastic whenever, um, you know, we hear about the story and where, you know, we're talking about, um, about that film so that people can come and watch it as well. Cause it's very important to see different perspectives and how actually, like as an influencer, how do people go about pushing their content when you don't always have um, electricity, for instance, running? You know, um, so yeah, that's 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 a really cool thing that I hope everyone will be able to engage with. Yeah, the film brings like warmth into this cold space and humor as well, and sound. You know, just this electrifying sound. So it's it's. Uh, it's it's really funny and at the same time it's um it make it's 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 self-reflection about how we as a people um utilize um certain um you know instruments or 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 machinery within our, our communities and the impact it has on us, you know, um, and also about misinformation, <laughs> which is global right now, it seems. 
the program, this year's program, this momentous occasion, really um, formed itself organically. It has, in terms of, 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 of defining the mission of why this organization was started. Just, just when you think of 30 years ago, the filmmakers who brought their little small films are now Oscar-nominated, can mm -hmm. a competition. That has been AFF's, NIAF's um, uh, uh, sort of wellspring. That has been her platform to to seek and 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 find these 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 amazing stories being told and the creatives who are uh, who are telling our stories, giving us a face and a voice, and create and uh, making sure that there's this safe space where they could come and engage with us and. And it's it's really holistic, you know. Yeah. And also, I mean, in our own, I always say in our own third world way, we really champion our artists because I'm sure we're doing more for them. <laughs> well, let's not go there, but um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I also think that it's because of that that a lot of filmmakers are coming back. You know, for yeah. instance, with Francisca, we have a long-lasting relationship with him, That's right. and now we're showing his, you know, his two films actually. We're showing his daughter's film, and we're showing his godson's film as well. And all of them will be in conversation during the festival within the the context of a um of a, a retrospective that we're trying to put, you know, together to honor his contribution to African film and Malian film specifically. And yeah. so that's the reason why whenever we think about things, we think about intergenerational conversations um, because we're interested in making sure that knowledge gets passed down, like, and also up, you know, it's like we're informing each other's understanding of the world, whether it be from a contemporary context or what had happened before people like me, for instance, were born. Because that informs the way we 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 um you know conceptualize our cinematic voice. Yeah, every generation tells the story of their time. You mm -hmm. know, they do. And and just hats off to Suleiman. I have mm -hmm. to say because those early African cinema cinema um, filmmakers, rather, the, having met them throughout the years, mm -hmm. I always feel like I'm the sort of the water bearer <laughs> running the grill, actually <laughs> I, I would say the grill <laughs> yeah. anything because but, you were... but but it's 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 i would do it a hundred times over and mm -hmm. to think that he's coming to us before he goes to can yeah. their politics is tight i love that about mm -hmm. them you mm -hmm. know they have yeah. a conviction no matter what and this yeah. is the on when i speak of this honesty this this sort of Oath you've taken with with Suleiman. Thirty years ago, the 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 um, image, the poster of the festival was his was a, a character from his film, a still from his film. So it comes full circle. I love that also. Wow. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I was curious as well for the uh, including nonfiction programming uh, as well. Uh, if there were any uh, criteria for those or highlights in, in this year's uh, documentary offerings in the festival? There are at least two that are kind of like portraits of people, um, Colette and Justin with Peter Bradley, 
um, you know, where we just learn about their journey, their stories through the eyes of others. And, you know, I mean, I think those, I'm really excited about those films and to see, you know, how people react to them. Mm -hmm. And the history of the CFR. Yeah. Currency, currency, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Matikita as well, is. which is a profile on um, an artist that's, you know, also trying as much as possible to change um, things from her perspective, you know, in Guinea, in Guinea-Conakry. But also, yeah. who is, who has a very Pan-Africanist um, spirit. I think we don't, we don't really, we don't really um, go in with the intention of, like, you know, profiling a certain kind of um, artist or, like, you know, a certain kind of uh, person, I guess. It's more a question of, okay, this is, what this is the the cinematic universe in which we're um you know working functioning right now this is what is in front of us and these are the themes that we are interested in tackling through the the you know the 30th edition so who is the most um you know complementary like what conversation you know is it that we proposed with that is the most complementary to the um the theme the sub themes and i mean quite frankly our own brand as well because it's also about you know, we have a certain way to do things. And so when we find people uh, who are also in alignment with that, it's always exciting because we're like, oh, wow, you do exist. So you compliment me and I compliment you, you know? So, yeah. Mahan, maybe you want to speak a little bit about with Peter Bradley because I feel like, I mean, his life yes. is carrying yeah. speak directly to the thing. And I was going to tell you to speak about the short format. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you go first and then I'll go. <laughs> no, really. I mean, uh-huh. that is, the piece de resistance in, in mm-hmm. a lot of, for us, really, because um, as I said, throughout the 30-year history, uh, um, artists, filmmakers who are now, um, I don't want to say A-list, but who are now um, worldwide recognized, we presented their first shorts in America. We introduced them to to they introduced themselves to us and we shared that um, their stories with so many um, people throughout the country, throughout the world. And um, and actually, I feel short films are sometimes more difficult to make than features because your time is limited to tell the <laughs> beginning, middle and end and the short formats. But anyway, Dara, go ahead, please. No, well, I wanted you to speak about Peter Bradley, but then... Okay, well, Peter Bradley, for me, <laughs> I've been hearing about him for a long time. And it was just, you know, every now and then he would um, he would pop up in conversations. And I'd, I'd find out that... Um, in, and then I would ask people in the art world, because my husband is in that, that's his world. And he's a conservator and also a painter. And then artists who are, you know, in blue chip galleries today who are worldwide recognized will say, yeah, well, I've heard of him, but, oh, I have never heard of him. And this man has, he has lived many lives. He's a Renaissance man. He created, I mean, in the 60s, he was already part of, I think, Andre Emmerich gallery. He was a, he worked in the conservation department, then he became a curator. Then he took all these blue, Kenneth Nolan, Dine, all, uh, you know, I think Stella, all these blue chip artists who are now quite established, but then they were all young artists. He created 
he was asked to um, to be part of the show, I believe, and then he decided to curate it. And he took he 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 did it in Houston. Um, I don't I don't want to uh, miss misspeak. <laughs> Is that the right verb? <laughs> but I think it was like the fourth ward or something like this, but somewhere that was like in the hood. And he, he, this is where he did the exhibition. And it's a very interesting story. And I don't want to give it away because <laughs> some of those artists, no, really it was like detonate that happened. So it's, and his work is exceptional. And he also went to South Africa before even, you know, I mean, Harry Belafonte and Mary Makiba had had their moment and then it was quiet. But even before We Are the World and can't you hear them knocking or, you know, you um, two did a big campaign for Nelson Mandela. Peter Bradley was in South Africa doing work. And this was during the apartheid uh, reign. And he just, he's truly a Renaissance man. But, yeah. but, and so <laughs> engaging. It's a beautiful um, portrayal of someone who, has had many lives that have influenced many of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be completely honest. At the oh. beginning, when I saw the film, um, oh. I thought it was intriguing because I thought the profile is, oh my gosh, like this person has done so much in their life. Yeah. But I didn't have the context. I didn't yes. have the context until I spoke with Mahan and I was given the context. I was told all of the different things that he had done and how engaged he was with his work and the intention behind his work. And so that's also. Like it speaks to the spirit that, you know, that we're trying to very much um, push forward and, and you know, share with people, which is that we want to curate intergenerational conversations. We want to make sure that things that people, you know, like in this context, for instance, I was not aware of the context. And now, you know, thanks to Mahan, I am like we're hoping that things like that will be happening throughout the festival. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, within that, that spirit that we curated all the films that we did. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you, you'd be surprised how many artists who are well-known, who have never, oh yeah, I've heard the name, or who have never heard of him. But it's like, yeah, you don't realize. With the filmmakers, or even had the opportunity to see works by these filmmakers. Um, Eric, when you spoke of the time when we, um, the during the pandemic, when we went online, mm -hmm. we, that, was, that was an intentional um, uh, undertaking, and which continues today, because there's so many artists or just storytellers who have never seen a work of Sam Ben. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. for us, we, we really um, go the extra mile to speak to filmmakers and the, or distributors, yeah. producers, to make sure those films are, are seen by the people whose stories are told on the continent. Obviously, we're paying through the nose to have this platform because you also want to protect intellectual property of the artist. But it is really, I mean, it's 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 so important that that information is, is accessible. fluid, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and the platform that Mahan was referring to is um, Cinema Awujo, I believe. Yeah. The yes. online platform where we have our films. And we will actually show uh, Madame Bouet, which is. That's right. The, yeah. <laughs> we'll show yeah. Uh, one film. I think it's the sequel to. Um, the second. The second is the second trilogy. One. Yeah the second of the trilogy mm -hmm. and it's going to be available on our online platform for the sake of giving context to the audience so that once you come in you know at the opening night you will know exactly what's going on and you won't miss a bit i did want to ask about 
the shorts uh, mm-hmm. programs. There are two this year, uh, shorts program one, call and response, and mm-hmm. shorts program two, uh, free forms. And there are also uh, a few features in the festival that uh, come paired with a, with a short as well. Uh, Cordelia with employee of the month, uh, for example. So I was wondering, yeah, if you could speak a little bit to those two short programs and also to incorporating shorts where maybe thematically they seem appropriate to pair with a, a feature in the festival. Yeah. I mean, the shorts are all strong. They're bold. They're colorful. They're expressive. I mean, I'm really excited about the freeform shorts program because I feel like it's, I mean, film is visual, a form of visual art, but these kind of like bleed into that whole fine art world for mm-hmm. me, just in um, how stylistic they are and how um, expressive these filmmakers and were and developing and showing their own like unique styles. So um yeah, and the call and response is one that we, it's a, a program that is focused on the diaspora. Usually we do like a New York shorts program, but we wanted to kind of, I mean, New York is like the global, yes. one of the main diasporas. The so yes. we wanted to open it up a bit and, you know, so we'll have the local filmmakers and films from like throughout the diaspora that just kind of focus and hone in on the different ways that, um, you know, individuals throughout the diaspora are dealing with the everyday calls of life, everyday struggles, everyday dreams, everyday beauty, you know. So, yeah. They show that we're not a monolith. Right. You know, the really, there's yeah. so, there, there's that creative liberation to tell the story as you see it but that is worldwide you know some people say oh they're so wild but they're really I mean they need they they need to be free to express what they're experiencing right now and I keep thinking when my parents would say how could they live this life how you know how could they how are these I can never imagine it and and I see myself thinking like my parents today, you know, how could young people afford to or cope with? And it's, it's, and my daughter once told me, well, we have no reference point. So for us, this is it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why film is also important. It gives us a context. It, it brings the old into the new and you find the new in the old, the old finds the new in the new. Yeah. I think that's why we, for example, juxtaposed Employee of the Month with Tony Kalani, who is a Nigerian film veteran. Yes. And, um, you know, Employee of the Month, which speaks about the NSARS protests and what is going on on ground right now with the youth and how that relates to, you know, the time period that is um, presented in Cordelia. So there's that line there, you know. That's right. And Tunde is a veteran. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he's he's championing the youth because his generation also lived that that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask about the free talks and and the masterclass, uh, the, the... live component if you will of of the festival uh you've spoken a little bit about how those are also in relation to the films in this year's lineup but i was curious if you could speak a little bit more uh to incorporating those talks and uh the programming you know we know that with 20 minutes you don't always have the time to elaborate so that's the reason why we're thinking okay was this an upsize coming in 
and he's coming in strong with an opening night that we want to, to discuss. But then we also wanted to carve a space for him to be able to expand on his own stylistic choices and his influences. Because, you know, it's, for instance, I found out through the African Film Festival that Musa Sanabsa was actually a uh, mentee of Jibuljok Mambeti. And people don't necessarily know this information and people don't necessarily know what it entails. So having a masterclass with him coming in and, you know, him being a veteran as well of the African Film Festival, because he's a really good friend of ours and he's, you know, we've presented his work prior. I think that that would provide with the context that people would enjoy, you know, and get to understand what the festival is about, what AFF is ultimately about. It's essentially a different perspective on the festival and its um, its legacy, in a sense. Yeah, you know, masterclasses are not only always about the craft of filmmaking. It's 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 a it's an engagement, you know, that um, that uh, uh, pro allows this flow of conversation and inspiration, and it's a give and take. So many of those filmmakers, you won't believe how much they appreciate the audiences here because we're really diverse. New York is the world in a way. The audiences of New York represent the world. So they get so much just having that engagement with audiences because you could be even on the continent or in another uh, country or in Europe or Asia, and you don't have this diversity of, 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 of speech, of discussion, of engagement. That's why when we say that um, from, for us, watching the audience leave the theater with the filmmaker and the ushers say, we have to start the next film, please move out of the way. <laughs> So that's why right. that masterclass and having the amphitheater is a godsend. Let's say Suleiman and Musa will they will talk for 24 hours and you will never be bored. So it's just gonna be interesting. Yeah. And um then Safi's memorial celebration. Do you want to yeah. say something I about mean, that, Dara? Yeah, of course you wanted to pay homage to Safi Fahu is important to all of us, you know, mm -hmm. um, in terms of Africans, the canon of African cinema, the canon of cinema in general, um, and um, as African women, you know, running this organization, she's always been um, a champion of what we do here. And, you know, we just love, love her and love her work. It's really important. And we wanted to um, sort of continue or I guess delve into her legacy through the lenses of younger African women filmmakers who can speak about, you know, how they impacted their their work. Um, and so, yeah, and Mahan, you were friends with her too, so you can. Oh, she took no prisoners. I'm so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you that generation of filmmakers, Sam Ben, Suleiman, um, you, um, Safi, Gaston. And I, I feel so fortunate that I we, we met them and we were able to invite them to at least engage them, present. And Semben, Semben, I for me, he's our queen. <laughs> and he came, no, when I say their politics is tight, they really have this conviction, no matter how you feel, when we needed him, because we were, to, we were in such a state at one point, and he came to support us and that gave us so much creed. It really, really 
changed the course of the festival that year. And so I just feel that somewhere, I always say I must be paying some, for some misdeed of my ancestors because what, what got into my head <laughs> 33 years ago, because actually AFF is 33 years old and NIAF is 30 years old, but I felt that I had been passed the baton um, and I, I, what was I going to do with it? You know, because on one hand, also you're a little superstitious, so you're not gonna like throw it away. The festival, you know, of course, continues through um, June first at Maisel Cinema and Brooklyn Academy of Music, which, you know, the same themes will be running through these films. We were thinking about the same themes as we chose selected those films as well. So, you know, um, so people, if they can check that out, if they're interested, they can go and check those out. Yeah, as well. and the town hall, Dara. yeah. Sure. Maybe for you, might want to talk about yeah, the town hall will happen on May 4th um, at the Africa Center. And uh, we will have four artists that, you know, will be in conversation with each other and we'll have a moderator. Um, and the, the intent behind the town hall is to have a conversation about art and activism and what that essentially means to the artist and the moderator. And um, we're also as much as possible to to uh, weave the festival's theme in that conversation. And so this year we're expecting the conversation to be about, you know, folks' experimental work, their relationship with their work, their relationship with uh, activism, if they even, you know, conceptualize their work as a form of activism. Um, and it will involve, you know, like, for instance, we have a barber um, or hairstylist, and we have um, a photographer and film curator, we have a, um, a filmmaker, we have a, a professor, actually, that who will be our moderator, so uh, Professor Mabula Sumao. And um, we, we will basically try as much as possible to give enough time for people to engage with the different forms of um, free forms, you know, executional practices uh, so that they can actually enjoy and actually receive the festival um, in an in open, open way. Did you mention the barber? I love yeah. the barber because that's, that's where when you're under, you know, uh, one year in the chair and this, the barber is touching your head. That's what, they yeah. hear all the stories. They really yeah. do. Basically. Yeah, they hear all yeah. the stories. And we were so <laughs> lucky to have them. secrets. They know where the skeletons are buried, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're so lucky to have them. Their name is Kay, um, Kane, sorry. And uh, the barbershop is located in uh, Brooklyn. Um, they they were actually the barber uh, working on set with uh, the Black Panther cast, and so I'm sure they will have a lot lot of stories to share with us. Um, also very excited to welcome the photographers Alessandri, uh, who is also behind Jola Films, uh, which is a cine club and a curator, curatorial, yeah, a curatorial um a space for people to come in and experience um uh, Senegalese films. Um, who else? We have um, Uthman, filmmaker. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. We we have Boka Floja, who is a um a filmmaker, poet, um activist. We have Ladan, who is also a poet. So we we have a lot of people, a lot of interesting people who we believe will be able to contribute to the conversation we intended to curate um throughout the festival. All storytellers. Yes, all storytellers, <laughs> all around.
in, their, in their own merits and in their own way. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, yeah, looking very much forward to this 30th edition. Uh, as, as a reminder, uh, tickets are, are now on sale for this year's festival. Uh, and if you'd like more information on uh, the uh, FLC side uh, with events running from May 10th through the 16th, you can visit filmlink.org slash African. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at the festival. Thank you all for, for joining us today and really breaking it down. That was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Support for Film at Lincoln Center and the following message come from Cinema Made in Italy, presenting La Emencita. Straight from its premieres at the Venice and Sundance Film Festivals, Penelope Cruz stars as Clara, a wife and mother in 1970s Rome, struggling with the crushing expectations around marriage, desire, and gender. Her son, Andrew, played by newcomer Luana Giuliani, faces a parallel struggle, searching for language that doesn't yet exist to describe his transgender identity. Together, Clara and Andrew escape into their imaginations, doing their best to diffuse family tensions in a way that still allows them to live as they know they should. See the film that the rap calls a grand and vibrant work of art, and that Variety describes as disarmingly tender. La Amencita starts Friday, May 12th in select theaters. More information at cinemamadeinitaly.com. On the occasion of the release of his latest feature, Bo is Afraid, Film at Lincoln Center recently presented a curated selection of films handpicked by Ari Aster to complement the director's highly anticipated new film. This eclectic and unexpected collection of masterworks, drawn from seven decades of film history across a range of genres and production contexts, shed light on the inspirations and influences behind one of the most compelling directorial voices in Hollywood today. Following a screening of Bo is Afraid, Astor joined us to speak with FLC assistant programmer Maddie Whittle about his inspirations for making the film. Please enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for being here and uh, Thanks for having me. with all of us. Uh, this is a great crowd. I, uh, I want to dive right in because there's so much to talk about with this film and it's, it's hard to know exactly where to start, but I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you are with us uh, in connection with the series of films that you've selected to screen at Film at Lincoln Center. It's 10 features and two shorts that have been playing uh, over the last uh, week in our theaters. And um, so I, I wonder if you could just start by talking about your relationship with cinema, with your influences, with cinephilia, and how a film like Bo, which is so densely in conversation with influences uh, across the arts, you know, across media, but that's also so sort of specifically personal or a, a, a vision that's so specifically personal. How do you how do you work with your influences, and how do they go into the vision of a film as immense and detailed as this? Um, I'm not sure if it's so self conscious as uh, like uh, 
choosing influences or like, or rather uh, like um, having films in mind when I'm making something, it, it, it's usually that, you know, the films you love, you've kind of uh, metabolized, right? And so they're sort of in your system and uh, often I'll recognize um, a, a connection to some other work like in the process of editing the film or it being released and, and uh, I'll be surprised. But yes, and, uh, um, and it'll often be, like hit me as like, oh, that's obvious and, and, I, and I, I didn't see it until now. Um, and then often, you know, I, there are films that I, um, that maybe are like serve as like food for me or just inspiration. Um, like with Bo, I did return to, to playtime. Um, and uh, especially when I was just thinking about background actors and especially in the first section of the film and um, just wanting them all to have, uh, to be extremely specific and to have lives. I mean, they're, they're, they're less people than they are like, you know, uh, um, I don't know, like just menaces, but I, but they, but I wanted them to be very, very specific. Um, and so, and that's just a film where every person in the frame and the frame is often packed with people where you feel that, you know, nobody is too far away from the camera to not deserve like all the attention in the world. Um, but, you know, but uh, w the, the program for me is really just, I, the way I thought about it was what, what movies, now that I'm kind of, now that Bo is sort of in retrospect for me, like I'm thinking, I'm looking at it and I'm being tasked with talking about it, which in some ways I'd rather not do. Um, <laughs> um, uh, like what films might uh, function well as like pairings? Like what would be, a, like I, I, was, I was just trying to think of like, okay, if I had to do a double feature with my own film, what are the films I would stick it with? And so that that's sort of how I came to those. Um, and so, uh, so a lot of them I, I haven't thought about in years and wasn't thinking about while I was making the film. A couple, a couple were on my mind, um, but for the most part, it was just the the thinking was what um, yeah, what what uh, what films maybe looking back do uh, feel like to me uh, this film is either consciously or uh, at the time of making it unconsciously. Um, I don't want to say in dialogue with because I wasn't really thinking. It, it just I, I I don't know. It's hard to it, pairings pairings. I'll leave it there. I think uh, your answer kind of hints at uh, a quality of this film that is fascinating to me because it's both an incredibly controlled expression. This the the, the detail, the level of detail and deliberation and care that goes into every inch of the frame. Uh, for the entire three-hour runtime, feels incredibly. Um, you know, another uh, another connection with with the film playtime is this sort of constructedness of this environment and this complete vision of a world that you're telling the story in. But at the same time, 
the entire film feels like an emergence of a subconscious, you know, of just sort of a dream logic that is playing out in a way that is uh, so profoundly unpredictable and um, almost uh, 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 feels like a, a um, sort of chain of associations or a, a stream of consciousness. How, in the same way that you're talking about sort of your influences informing you in a way that you're not totally conscious of, how do you balance that sort of tremendous degree of control over the image and the the, the cinema that you're creating while also sort of letting your subconscious or a, a subconscious narrative unfold? Um, I don't know. I mean, this film more than more than any I've made was something I was really kind of feeling my way through and was, um, I don't know, it was a very intuitive process. Um, and yeah, I don't, yeah, it, I, it, it, it really, there, I, I don't know. It was very, again, that's why it's hard to talk about and why, um, I feel like as I'm talking about it, I'm just like, I mean, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be honest, but at the same time, I just feel like I'm just, you know, just saying, just making shit up. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, especially because honestly, I mean, I was thinking more about books than, than films with this one, but not, but I, more just I, because I, I, I saw the film as a, picaresque and was excited about the idea of like working in that tradition and trying to find my own way into that tradition um and uh yeah i and so yeah i mean it's i think uh maybe the the question is uh it's a weird one because it's a project that was in gestation for a really long time right it was um, you've you've returned to this project at different stages of your adulthood. Is that? And so presumably, it's accumulated meaning for you, and um, the details have just sort of expanded with the time you've put into it. Is the way I Im imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started writing it probably. I wrote a, 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 the first draft of this script about ten or eleven years ago. But it's not like I've been working on it consistently since then. I, I wrote it, tried to get it made, obviously didn't, uh, and then wrote other things, didn't get those made, then wrote Hereditary, that got made. Um, and then by the time I was done with Midsommar, because those were really back-to-back, -back, they almost feel like one project to me, because there was no break between them. They overlapped. Um, so I was working on both at, at one time. Um, uh, I I just felt like oh I I want to go back to that world, um that made me laugh while I was writing it, and went back to it. It still made me laugh. Some of it, I I it, but reading it, I had new ideas and and just yeah wanted to sort of uh live in it for a while. Then the lockdown happened, and so it, it gave me the opportunity to sort of swim around in it and kind of grow it and go deeper and 
yeah, make this. And in some ways it also felt like, oh, it feels like appropriate to go there because I'd written it before Hereditary and Midsommar, but it felt in some ways like, oh, this is somehow functioning as like uh, some weird, like not not commentary on those, but it felt like a, in some ways, I was like thematically it's joined. There are all these kind of, superficial connections, but it also felt like I'm going back to those ideas and themes, but I'm like sticking dynamite in it and I can like blow it up and it, and now I'm done with whatever the, those three movies are and have been. It felt like a, yeah. But, um, but instead of like a breakthrough, like a breaking through all that stuff, it's like, okay, I'm gonna let it devour itself. I'm gonna just let, it's gonna eat its own head. <laughs> Um. I was really struck uh, when I saw the film by its sort of surprising um, the connective tissue that ties it to Midsummer and Hereditary because in some sense they're very different films with a very different sort of set of ambitions I think but they're both they're they're all three very funny in a dark and sick and twisted and sad way I mean they're 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 all um, sort of taking humor and terrible drama and sadness and horror and sort of graphic bodily objection and just swirling them all together in a pot. And in this film, I think that the, the humor is probably the most, f the foregrounded element. But I'm, there's, in all three, there's sort of this queasy balance that that is at the same time really satisfying of of these really deep, sort of visceral kinds of emotions. So I guess my question, I'm talking too much, my question is about comedy and is about drawing the comedy out of these sort of, or maybe finding the comedy in these sort of um, sick, dark corners of the psyche. Yeah, I don't know, it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, um very often like the 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 more horrible the funnier for me. I don't know, but I can't explain. I don't yeah, it's just it's um this makes me laugh. I mean, I was laughing a lot while writing it and making it. Um and and trying not to I don't know. I I I I I tried to really, I mean, it's probably obvious, but I tried to really not censor myself very much on this one. Um, and when I and when I had the opportunity to make it, there was just a feeling of like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna not compromise on this one. Whatever, I mean, I just like, whatever this is, it's just gonna be. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, but I, I but I did see the movie, especially the first part of the movie, as like a, a sort of gag machine, um, and and I think it it the the idea was to sort of have each section, hopefully they're all cohesive, but have them all like have the have the pivots be j jarring and have like the tone change and the in some ways the uh, the the pacing change, but. I mean, again, the hope is that it, it is cohesive, um, but 
Um, yeah, but it, but it, 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 I, it, it was, I don't know. It, it, it's again, it, it was a movie that really was like, um, it, 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 at every step in the process, it, it was, it was about like, uh, feeling my way through it. I'm curious uh, if you could just talk about, just to get into some of the details of the film, um, how, well, it's a, it's a film about fear in many ways, and it's uh, uh, about a man who's just like a raw nerve, just encountering the world and everything terrifies him. And it does not attempt to psychoanalyze beyond sort of certain sort of large symbolic uh, you know there's there's sort of gesturing at at um at, at certain kinds of symbolism without really trying to clinically diagnose what's going on with Bo and was the I'm was the character of Bo and the way his anxieties took shape uh something that was all were you focused on a vision that was on the page that was in the writing that then you sort of built the film around or did Bo and his anxieties and his sort of way of being in the world emerge in the process of telling the story to creating the world around him I think it was more about creating a world that reflected a feeling about the world right and so uh and so um yeah and and to create this like hall of mirrors like the film i think uh i i tried to design it in some ways as like this very long hall of mirrors um uh and it has this like ouroboros structure where you know maybe it like ends kind of where it be began maybe um every time i say something i think don't say it um <laughs> and then i did uh but uh, yeah, I mean, it really began like the 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 humor of the world is kind of where it began, and that and it's sort of where it ends. And it just Bo feels to me very much like just um, uh, well, what was important about Bo is that he needed to be real uh, because the world is so kind of um, heightened and arch. And so um, it was it was very important that he be grounded and that you and that he be like um, uh, 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 an effective like surrogate for the audience that you could like at least hold on to him. Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I but I find him relatable. Like I uh, all too relatable. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Oh brother. Um I uh I I that sound was great. Uh, wish I had that in like a library that I could pull from later. I'm so uh I'm so curious I'm I'm to me the relationship between uh Bo and Mona is kind of kind of the key to the film it's it's you know in the same way that you know a therapist might um say that you know everything everything 
goes back to your parents. Everything is traced back to who you came from and, and you know, how they taught you to relate to the world. Um, and this, this film dramatizes that idea in, I think, really kind of um, surprising ways and in ways that are, are uh, both explicit but also sort of only suggestive and only hinting at the, the depths of this relationship. Um, at what point in the process did you um, determine that Bo's mother and his therapist were going to be in cahoots? Oh, that was like really early on. That's one of the things that made me laugh the most. Because um, that's like just, you know, the, the worst nightmare, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean. And yeah. his, his, his mom and his shrinker in cahoots and his mom's lawyer is uh, guilting him after her supposed death about not coming home to honor his mother. And it's just every, it, it's like a, um, a film that asks what if all of our sort of deepest and most irrational anxieties and fears about interacting with other people and the people we're close to actually played out and what would you do and where would you go and was that um was that sort of a therapeutic storytelling process in any kind of way was it did you see it as an experiment almost um i mean i just found it funny i just it just made me <laughs> Just made made me laugh. Um, you know, I I wanted Mona, I wanted Bo's mom to be like not just a mother or his mother, but like the mother. Does it does that make sense? Um, yeah, like she's like a god, and you know that to me feels like a very Jewish <laughs> joke. You know, at the, yeah, it's the the mother is God. Um, or like in lieu of a god, that's what you have, you know? Um, and so, I don't know. And for me, I just also, I, I just kind of loved the idea of like this long, very long like journey to then like this, you know, kind of like Tennessee Williams like <laughs> showdown with, uh, the your your worst nightmare of of a mother, you know, or like what it's it's less of a she's less of a mother than like your like one's fear of what your mother could be or or, or what she could turn into. I don't know. Um, so, but again, I I uh, I thought it was funny. That was my. <laughs> I, uh, two of the films that you selected in your program, um, I think, are, are, when I saw the film, you know, after working with you on the program, I uh, was delighted by the, the end because I, you selected A Matter of Life and Death, the Powell and Pressburger film, and Defending Your Life, the Albert Brooks film, both of which kind of play with this idea of uh, uh, judgment on when you're on the cusp of the afterlife, of, of coming before some sort of judging body um, that is going to make a verdict on the worthiness of the character's life or, or you know, in, in one way or another. Uh, 
And then specifically both of those films, I think, play with that idea of, you know, the afterlife in very almost expressionistic, very stylized, sort of surreal um, treatments. How was it that you arrived at that end point for Bo, that sort of being faced by a tribunal in the sort of this most extreme version of being judged by a mother figure or, or you know, um, um, facing the wrath of a mother figure? What was, were those films on your mind when you came up with that ending, when you, when you worked through the story that way? No, nothing was on my mind when I wrote that. It was just, it just felt like the only way to end it. It just felt like any other way was not, was what, like it, it, it really just, it came out, it, it came very quickly, like at the end and it just, and then once I had written it, it was like, well, that's it, okay. That's it, um, and so and uh, and then when it came to design, I remembered Matter of Life and Death, and I was I, I just like I I, I love that uh, the final trial in Matter of Life and Death. Um, it's a really funny sequence, and it's like it's shameless propaganda. It was uh, um, Palin Pressburger made it just after the war, um, and. Uh, and yeah, it's just British propaganda, but it's brilliant and so funny. And so that that uh, just just uh, the circular stadium there was just in my head. Um, and Defending Your Life is just a film I love so much. And that is one of the films where I did not it, like none of that occurred to me until I was in post, and I was like, oh yeah. Um, but it, but that's one of my fa my favorite films, and and just. Maybe the uh, for for me the best the best of all romantic comedies um, for my money. I want to make sure to um, talk to you a little bit about um, the mid sequence of the film in the forest with the stage production that sort of transforms. Um, I know you've spoken about uh, your collaboration with uh, the animators who were also the directors of, of The Wolf House and The Bones, a feature in a short that you programmed. Uh, th uh, their names are uh, Leon and Cochinha. You worked with them on the animation of this film and uh, in interviews you talked about how that also sort of bled into the, the stagecraft elements, the sets, the design of that uh, sort of fantasy world that the animation comes out of. Um, could you talk a bit about your just interest in animation and um, specifically the decision to uh, frame it in this kind of theatrical stage context here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had written the scene in which Bo kind of enters the play and imagines his life if he were a more, if he had more agency in his own life or courage, or whatever word you want to use. Um, and uh, and I wrote it to be sh shot, uh, like the rest of the film. Um, but then it was clear that we just, it, it just we didn't have the resources for it, and it, 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 w it just would have been impossible. So then I came to the, I, 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 then I thought, okay, well, it, he's entering a play, so it should have the aesthetics of the play, and so, so, so it's stagecraft. And then, um, 
And then I started moving towards, well, is it like, or is it strictly animated? And uh, eventually I, I landed on this idea of, okay, it's, it's stagecraft and it's, um, uh, and, and there are animated elements like interacting with the stagecraft and kind of complicating the stagecraft. And, and, and uh, so then the question became, you know, like who, well, who are these animators? Do we go to an animation house, which is usually how it's done. Um, uh, same with VFX, like you go to these, you know, VFX houses that, you know, that have a bunch of artists there and, and you work with them. But it's something about, all, all the studios I was looking at, it just felt kind of impersonal. Like they had all these really great films in their their roster, but they're all different. And I and, and then I I remembered the Wolf House or La Casa Lobo, and thinking it was just one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. Um, uh, and so I reached out to them, and 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 it turned out that they, that they were interested, and and. Uh, from, and so, you know, at that point, I I had a, a shot list and a storyboard for the for the sequence. So, it, so the 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 shots were dictated already, but the the style, like the the design, wasn't what the world looked like, what the animation would look and feel like. And from there, it it became a, a really like a true collaboration and, and a really joyful one and and a long one, long. Uh, like you know, they were sending in paintings and and there was a, a lot of back and forth because I needed whatever the look was to be cohesive with the rest of the film and the aesthetics that we were already, that, you know, that, um, that like the, the aesthetics of the film and they weren't, they're in Chile, so they, they, they weren't on the ground. So it was really about me kind of guiding them and they were a bit in the dark because again, they didn't really know what we were making. Um, they did, they read the script and we, we were sending them images, but um, it was just a lot of back and forth, and and I drove them crazy, um, but uh, it but yeah, it was it was great. And so they were sending in paintings that we eventually, uh, like our crew on the ground in Montreal, built uh, like you know, uh, uh, built and painted all these things that reflected the paintings that they were sending to us, and, uh, at at a greater scale. Anyway, it was a long, long process, but uh, a very fun one. I think, um, you know, reading your interviews, I, I have the sense that you're very in tune to your own experience as a viewer of films and, and what you respond to in a film and what uh, works for you in the films that you watch and what doesn't, and that you're very uh, sensitive to thinking about those things while you're making your own films and thinking about what the audience's reaction is going to be, and what is the sort of uh, what what the what the emotional engagement you're listening is, uh, which is uh, reminds me a lot of of the way that people talk about Alfred Hitchcock, uh, and you selected one of his films, The Birds, in this program, uh, and so I'm just curious uh, in in maybe in Hitchcockian kind of terms, um, to what extent are you are you consciously thinking about not manipulating an audience, but sort of orchestrating an effect on an audience. And uh, now that the film is out in the world, does that color your sense of, of uh, when you see the effect that the film actually has, how does that sort of feedback into your uh, observation? Um, well, you know, 
I I always knew the film would be divisive. You know, it's it's a pummeling, and it's just supposed to be. Um, uh, um, maybe I didn't know quite to the extent that it would be divisive, but I I. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, well, the birds. Uh, yeah, Hitchcock. Uh, you know, of course, I love Hitchcock, and the birds felt to me like a fun pairing with this also because of the perversity of the birds. And there's also, you know, this bow is obviously, uh, the, the mother figure is so important in bow and the, the mother in, in the birds is, is like really like she's, she's the star of the film, but it's not apparent until almost until you think back on it. Like she's like the covert star, you know, where, and, and the, um, um, Jessica Tandy, uh, and she, she, uh, you know, because it, it, it's really about, it's like this, there's this really strange meet cute between Rod Taylor and Tippi Hedren, and the first hour of the film is, uh, it, 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 it's really convoluted, and it's this, like, romance that is between these two people who are both, like, very, you know, just really, uh, they've got problems. And, and, and uh, the birds... Are uh, uh, they, it, it takes a while for for the birds to really really um, invade the film and 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 it's it's but but it's always but they're they're always tied to the characters' neuroses like it it, it really is it, like the birds are coming out of their neuro their neuroses and I and I I think they're really coming out of the mother's like like panic at the idea of her son who she's they're basically like a married couple. Um, panic at the idea of her son meeting another woman. Um, and so like the birds are like almost, it, it feels like they're being summoned by the mother's uh, like uh, f fear of losing the son. Um, and so I, I, I just, I love that. And I, I find it so funny too. Um, yeah. And, and it's his weirdest film. It's one, of the, it's, it's, it's one of the only films that doesn't really have a musical score. Um, it do, I mean, it doesn't. There's, there's uh, Bernard Herrmann did this. He like kind of uh, worked on the sounds of the birds, and uh, that I think that they they called that a score, but it's not. It's not, and and the silences are like really heavy and very eerie, and uh, like I, they, I don't know. Yeah, they they remind me of of, of Brisson's silences, where it's just like it will, it's like you've sucked out. Like there, there's like no room tone, maybe you know. Anyway. Um, I, I love that movie. I think um, the, the Birds is a film that is, you know, identified as as horror or or something, uh, but it's not a film that sits easily in its sort of genre classification. And I think you identify or have identified as a genre filmmaker, uh, and your first two films uh, are are horror films. This film is is both afraid is a, is horrifying, but it's not. It, it's perhaps even less uh, committed to a genre than Hereditary and Midsummer, which both also, like the birds, are kind of horror that's doing something with the generic generic forms that's um, to a different end than uh, a horror film might typically be. 
Um, and and I, I think, you know, if you, when you look at the lineup of films you selected, they run the gamut genre-wise. Um, most of them have in common the fact that generically they're kind of difficult to classify or, or you know, classifiable but with an asterisk or a caveat or, you know. And I'm just curious, when in telling this specific story of Bo, of this very, very sensitive, very neurotic, very frightened man moving through the world uh, in this sort of picaresque story, as you said, um, it's it's all about fear, but it's not horror. And it's you're doing you're you're using elements of you know again sort of the bodily. Uh, objection that comes from horror but it's not a horror film and I'm just curious if you could just talk a little bit about um, your thoughts about genre as they apply to this film and your approach to this film I wasn't really thinking about genre at all uh, I mean I yeah it's a it's a nightmare comedy that if it if it's anything, that's what it is. It's a, it has like the you know it it sort of it's uh, it's it's yeah the the logic is that of a nightmare and it's yeah that yeah so I don't I don't know uh, but again it, it's like these questions don't aren't ever asked until the movie comes out but it's but I think it's useful because it's. Because if people are coming to see something scary, like, you know, they're in for a rude awakening, you know, it's not gonna, it's, yeah, it's not that. Um, it's it's a, it's full of fear, but it's not eliciting fear in the way that a horror movie is. Yeah. It's about fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good note to end on. I think uh, we... We can leave it there. There's so much to there's so much to talk about in this movie, and I could I could keep asking you questions, but I'll I'll leave it there. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank thanks. You thanks very much. Thank you.